Welcome birders, this is Ed Pullen, your host of the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. On this episode, I'm going to talk about the recent WASP convention. WASP is the Washington Ornithological Society, and WASP met at Moses Lake last weekend. Ken and I, Ken Brown, my birding buddy, who was uh, the, host, the guest on episode number two, uh, drove out to Moses Lake last Thursday morning, leaving early, and headed out to scout for two uh, field trips that we were leading for the convention. The field trips went uneventfully, and I'm not really going to talk much about those. Uh, there was a little bit of an adventure scouting for the first one when we took the first parking lot instead of the second parking lot into Gloyd Seeps uh, and uh, had to traipse a long ways through the sage to find the water, but that, that was just the normal scouting for a place we hadn't been to, so the field trips went just fine. The real highlights of the convention for me were two things. First, meeting some really cool people, and second, uh, a field trip that we took. We led trips on Friday and Sunday. Matt Yanni led a trip to Northrop Canyon. It was billed as a trip to Northrop Canyon with a fairly long hike and probably 55 species to be estimated found, Uh, but it turned out to be really a Grant County big day. Uh, the trip started out uh, early. We left at 5.15, and, and Matt just started going to one place after another, uh, picking off tough-to-find uh, central Washington species. We started out with burrowing owl, which was a first-year species for essentially everyone on the trip except Matt. Uh, we uh, went one stop after another stop after another stop, just terrific birds. Uh, the highlight for Matt, and really for all of us for the day, uh, was the trip up Northrop Canyon. On the hike up Northrop Canyon, uh, which is a, uh, a canyon with trees. The trees are unusual in Grant County. Grant County isn't sage uh, desert sort of country in central Washington. And, and I learned from Matt that day, it was really the only, uh, the only forest in Grant County. So if you want uh, forest birds in Grant County, if you want a black-capped chickadee, if you want a red-breasted nuthatch in Grant County, Northrop Canyon is your place. Uh, so we headed up Northrop Canyon and found a nice number of species. And there were Townsend's warblers singing here and there. Uh, and they were tough to get looks at. Townsend's tend to be high in the trees. And we got a little look here and a little look there. But then one of them didn't sound quite right. Uh, and uh, one of the members of the group uh, got a look at it and yelled out, Hermit Warbler. Uh, Hermit Warbler is a bird not, I think, a first county speedy sighting for Grant County. Uh, and this of uh, the crazy thing was that of all of the warblers we saw on that entire walk, this was the only one that was cooperative. It came down fairly low, it paraded, it gave nice looks, everyone's ooing and eyeing. Matt got good photographs, a recording, it was singing. And, and we, uh, curiously, the night before, uh, on the, the visual identification quiz that we had as part of the meeting, uh, uh, one of the quiz photos was a hermit warbler by Townsend's Warbler Hybrid. When you find a, a Townsend's Warbler in Washington, you really want to s- figure out if you have a pure hermit warbler or if you have a hybrid between hermit and Townsend's. The, her- the hybrids have uh, some of the markings of Townsend's Warbler. They have black streaking on the flanks, they have a little black in the face, so you don't see an all yellow face and an all clear white below bird. And this was a Beautiful hermit warbler. No streaking in the blanks or belly. Uh, no black in the face. Just a nice Townsend uh, hermit warbler singing like crazy. So that was a real highlight. Matt was just over the moon about that bird. He uh, was kind of walking on a cloud for a few steps after that. We continued up the 
up the canyon and, and had a nice lunch and walked back out. And then off we went. Uh, we stopped some sage areas and knocked off first-of-year species for lots of birders, uh, grasshopper sparrow, sage sparrow, sage thrasher, brewer sparrow, just one after another. We found white-throated swifts at a stop. Uh, just had a terrific day, uh, 19 eBird lists. I was the eBirder for the trip and made 19 eBird lists for the trip. Uh, and it was just a great trip, 115 species in Grant County in one day uh, in a two-car caravan of eight birders and just had a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, other highlights of the trip uh, were the two meetings. Uh, on Friday on Friday, on Friday night, uh, we had... Uh, a stump the stump the chumps uh, uh, stump the chumps uh, show, uh, which is something that is put on every year at the meeting. Uh, Dennis Paulson, who's a well-known local ornithologist, he was the uh, museum curator and a professor at UPS for many years. Has written several books on shorebirds. Is a dragonfly expert and just a wonderful fellow and gentleman and an excellent speaker. And he puts that on every year at the WAS convention. Uh, and most years, they have two panels of experts, you know, local birders who are put on the spot to try to identify his photographs. Uh, and they compete with the audience. So well, one group will have a turn, and the next group will have a turn, and then the audience will have a turn, and we see who wins the competition. But this year, uh, they decided to do it differently. Shep Thorpe was... Uh, was uh, the uh, sidekick in the show, and uh, he went around to the audience and took uh, guesses. So if you were in the audience and the slide went up and you thought you might have an idea what it was, you'd put your hand up and he'd come over the microphone and you'd say what you thought and why you thought it, and he'd try to get three guesses for each bird, and, uh, and then the audience would vote on what they thought the, the, the best guess was. Uh, these, these photographs are just really hard. Uh, Dennis is an excellent photographer and just knows the minutia of bird identification by field marks. Uh, and he, he also uh, founded the collection of outstretched wings at the UPS Museum. Uh, and you can check that out online. There's a link to the, there's a whole subset of the, the UPS website that has all photographs of all the collection of wings. So you can study outstretched wing photographs if you're interested in learning bird identification at the wing level. Uh, but he showed some wings, he showed tiny bits of birds, diving birds. We learned some really cool things during that. I learned some things, maybe other birders knew them, but I learned some things. Uh, one thing I learned was that when ducks or uh, grebes dive, uh, they do that with their big feet stuck way up behind because that's how they propel themselves underwater. They, uh, fly, they you know, kick with their feet, and that's how they swim underwater. Uh, so if you see a bird and all you see are these two big feet sticking up out of the water as it goes down, you know it's a, a duck or a grebe. Uh, you know it's not an alcid. Alcids are the little uh, birds uh, that essentially fly underwater. They use their stiff little wings to, to propel themselves underwater. So their feet are smaller, and they're just uh, stuck straight out behind in a streamlined fashion so that they can fly underwater. So I uh, showed a picture of a marble murelet, uh, and one of the clues that that's what it was, uh, that it was an alcid, were the two little feet sticking out behind, not the two big feet. Uh, so that was a nice little 
Pearl from Venice that night. So we had a good time with that uh, Sherbert, uh, that bird identification quiz. Uh, and the other highlight for me was this, the next night. The next night was the uh, keynote speaker, uh, and uh, it was a talk on bird sounds. Uh, the uh, speaker was uh, Nathan Pipolo, uh, and he just put out a book on uh, the, uh, the language of birds, uh, and uh, it's a field guide to bird identification by sounds. It has sonograms, and it's laid out like a field guide. Uh, like a yeah, like a field guide to bird identification, only it's by auditory. I guess there's a website that you can use with that. I just bought the book at the at the convention. I haven't really hardly opened it yet, but it looks like a great resource. Uh, and the talk was terrific. But for me, the talk was not the highlight of the evening. Highlight of the evening were the people at my table. Uh, I sat, uh, Ken and I sat with Bruce Labar. You'll remember Bruce from episode number three. He's another Tacoma birding buddy who helped me get the Bird Better podcast started by being a guest. And his episode is very good. You should check it out, episode three. Uh, and uh, so we sat down and, and over to come sit with us uh, were Shaneen Finnegan and David Irons. Now, Shaneen is uh, a legend in her own uh, part in the American birding scene. Uh, the story goes something like uh, when she was just a young birder, she showed up at an ABA convention somehow, and uh, I guess they have their own version of quizzes that, that are did at the ABA conventions uh, years ago, and uh, the, it was a, a birding by sound quiz. They'd play a bird sound, and someone in the, audi- the audience would try to guess what it was. And Shanine's just one after another, got it, got it, got it. And she wins the, uh, the competition for birding by sound. And then everyone's like, who is this girl? We don't know her. How, how can she know all this? Uh, so anyway, uh, Shanine sort of blew them away. And turns out they had a... a uh, bird identification by photograph, uh, one next, and she came in second in that. So she got the attention of the American Birding Association uh, world in one meeting when she was young, and her career has just taken off after that. She's an artist. She's a superb field trip leader. She sits on many uh, rare bird committees, and she's just a really cool person. I met her uh, on a, a trip that I took out of San Diego, a five-day pelagic trip on this really luxury sort of uh, boat, and it was just a really special trip. But uh, one of the really special things was getting a chance to meet Shanine and have her uh, share some of her expertise and stories, so I enjoyed that too. Uh, and David is just a, a bundle of energy and enthusiasm, a storyteller, and just a super nice guy also. So met a couple of really fun people. Uh, and had a nice evening. Uh, So the convention was terrific. Ken and I made our trip home. We picked up a couple of -of first-of-the-year birds on the way home. Uh, We found a red nape sapsucker, and we found a Nashville warbler uh, near uh, Tianaway on the way home, and had a nice trip. There are a couple of other things I wanted to talk about today. It's sort of birding in the news. Uh, Birding doesn't make the mainstream news very often, uh, but uh, there's uh, a couple of uh, couple of things I wanted to talk about. One is sort of a scientific thing. Uh, there's a, a species called the Adabra white-throated rail. Uh, there's an atoll in the Indian Ocean called Adabra, uh, and it turns out that this rail is an example of iterative evolution. Iterative, iterative I think, means uh, a copy of the same or another of the same. Uh, and an iterative evolution, uh, a species that becomes extinct, re-evolves from the same ancestors uh, 
into a similar or essentially identical species a second time. And it turns out that this Adabra white-throated rail uh, became extinct by fossil evidence about 136,000 years ago when an in when a flooding event or inundative event happened on this atoll, basically wiped out all of the all of the living things on the on the uh, atoll. This is a flightless rail, so it was really only on this atoll, uh, and it couldn't fly away when the water came, uh, and it evolved again into another flightless rail, uh, and is now alive and well on Adabra atoll, the Adabra white-throated rail, an example of iterative. Evolution, really the only known example of iterative evolution in the bird world. There, I guess, there are some sea turtles and some other species that have been shown to have uh, re-evolved from the same ancestors after becoming extinct for one reason or another. But I thought that was kind of cool science. Uh, the other thing is soft science, but a potential tiny sliver of a solution for a terrible problem. Uh, outdoor cats are just a gigantic problem in the United States, in the world, uh, but in the United States also. Uh, there are an estimated nine, 84 million cats, house cats in the U.S., uh, of which uh, 46 million are outdoors, and then add to that about 50 million feral or all-the-time outdoor cats. means about 100 million cats outdoors every day in the U.S. There are about 10 or 20 billion uh, land birds in the U.S. That's estimated by the Wildlife Service. Let, let's be uh, generous and say there are 20 billion uh, land birds in the U.S. Well, it turns out that house cats kill between 1 and 2 billion of these birds every year. That's between 5 and 10 percent of the land birds in the U.S. every year are killed by house cats, outdoor cats. Uh, now, outdoor cats probably served a real purpose in, in days gone by. If you had a barn with chickens and you needed a cat to, to keep the weasels out of the, uh, the chicken coop or uh, to keep the rat population down in your barn or your house, I mean, that's that, yeah, I can understand having a cat for that purpose, but you know we really don't have a big rodent problem in our homes these days. And if we do, we usually don't need a cat roaming around the house to solve that problem. Uh, and cats are natural predators. They just kill birds. That's just what they do. That's their DNA. It's their nature. And you can't really teach a cat not to kill birds. Uh, but uh, people have tried things. People have tried bells, and bells don't work. Cats can walk without making any noise with the bell, and so that's pretty worthless. But a couple of women, uh, Nancy Bren Brennan uh, and uh, a, a biologist named uh, Wilson, uh, figured out a possible solution for your house cats that you want to have outdoors part of the time. Of course, the best solution is to keep your cats indoors, uh, where they belong, in my opinion. But uh, the, uh, the other possible solution is that we know that birds... Uh, can see colors better than people. Uh, they have ultraviolet range of vision and infrared range of the vision. They can see things that we can't. And they're very in tune to color. And so these, uh, these women uh, figured out that if you make a collar with some bright colors on it, uh, that birds see much better than humans do, uh, that they have a much better success of evading or eluding these house cats. Uh, and uh, these women made a, a commercial product called Safe Bird Safe Collar, I think. I'll put a link to it in the, in the podcast notes. Uh, and there's actually a recently published scientific article that uh, showed 
that when you take these collars and you put them on cats uh, and they put them on two weeks in a population of cats and then they substituted two weeks for another control population of cats and went back and forth, that uh, there's probably about a 95% or thereabouts reduction in the number of birds brought home by these cats when they're wearing these collars. So maybe at least for the, the subset of population of cats that actually have an owner and have a home uh, and especially those who have an owner who give a damn and don't want to kill bird populations, uh, maybe this might be a solution. You know, the Australia solution is the one I like, where they go out and euthanize the feral cat population as best they can. But so far in the U.S., that hasn't caught traction. And I know that in some, some uh, venues, my idea of killing these feral cats is not popular. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's, I thought that's interesting. I'll put a link to that uh, article in The Atlantic uh, that talks about this uh, possible new solution to the house cat pro problem or partial solution. But anyway, just thought you might be interested in those couple little tidbits. Uh, and I've got some great guests coming up. Stay tuned. Until next time, good birding, good day. <laughs>